0: learning about the character of God. And specifically this evening, we want to consider this topic of speaking in the name. It's, a, it's an interesting title, and um, hopefully what we have to say this evening will be, uh, will be helpful to understanding this concept more. So we've done a couple classes now um, on this um, subject. We did class one and two, I think, uh, early on in, in the year, and um, calling on the name last week, and this week uh, we're looking at speaking in the name. And there really could be more classes. This is just an ongoing uh, thematical study, trying to pick out these, these topics as we go through and learn more about our Heavenly Father, and as our brother Kurt mentioned in his prayer, about his character and, and how we can please him and learn more about doing that. And that's really what we've been considering So just if we just uh, bring our minds back just for some of the thoughts that we've looked at in the previous weeks. We've been considering from Genesis 1, verse 26, this very important concept and verse, really, where the Elohim, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And we see that this was really the ideal. We remember that this statement was before the fall of man. This was God's design from the very beginning. And we know what happened is that with the fall, there needed a recovery from that. uh, Which we're going to see this evening uh, uh, as well through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what we want to consider is we remember looking at last week, uh, hopefully, that it was the Lord Jesus Christ that we're told in Hebrews 1, verse 3, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And we had mentioned how this is the Greek word character, and that's why we, we have been following this theme and learning how we can have this character that Jesus was impressed with or stamped with as an express image And he's trying to show us that character that we can have that impressed on our minds and that it would affect our behavior. And so we looked at how in John 14 and 9, Jesus was able to say that he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And we have no problem with that, do do we, my dear brothers and sisters, because we understand what Jesus meant by that. He was coming to manifest God's character to others to show the type of God he is and how he wants us to please him so that this earth will be filled with his glory as the waters cover the sea. So these are some of the things that we had started with and we were looking at. And it really honed in on this verse, did it not, in, in Genesis 1, verse 28. The, the ideal of this image and impression on each of us in our characters is that we can then go and be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth and to subdue it and to have dominion over it. And, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are in this, this world that like to spread out, to be fruitful and be multiplied, but they don't do it in manifesting God's image. And it wasn't God's design to have this earth to be filled with evil, and that he would bring judgment on those that would not comply or conform and transform their minds to this image. But ultimately, this was the design that we started looking at in our previous classes. This is the pattern. And so, last week, we introduced this topic of calling on the name of the Lord and showing how it really was a process, or is a process in our lives. It includes that separation, just like light from darkness that we see in Genesis 1, and the waters from the waters, and then the dry land separated from the waters on the first three days of creation, and then in the final three days of creation— before day seven, on, on the, the latter three days of creation, God then filled what he had first uh, created. He filled it, and that's the design, is that he wants to fill what he's created uh, with his glory. And so that, this is what the, the importance of that separation entails. And we mentioned last week, we were looking at this theme of the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. This is that light and darkness separation, is it not? And we'll be looking more at that uh, theme a little bit as we go through on speaking in the name as well. Sacrifice was an essential part that we saw. The sacrifice being on the altar, which is identified with Jesus. And we could be identified with Jesus in our baptism, which is followed with a walk in newness of life. And truly, our walk should should happen even before baptism. For the young ones, we can start at any time and walk in that newness and show forth God's character, and we can get uh, practicing that in our lives now for the Kingdom Age, even. So this is what we started with yesterday, and we want to just branch out now a little bit, looking at speaking in the name. And really, there's no really, uh, a better summary verse, I think, than Colossians 4 and 6. You know, let your speech, or the way you speak, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. See, that's really the trick, isn't it, my dear brothers and sisters? How do we answer people? You know, with our nature, sometimes we get flared up and we get upset and and uh, and we have to curb that. Sometimes somebody will say something to us that we don't like and we might answer the wrong way. Sometimes there's reproof that's needed and we back off away from that. Is that really... Um, how we ought to be, that we ought to answer every man with with the seasoning of salt, just like how we would flavor our food in a proper way to add that, that flavor that is needed. And so what we want to remember about that and look at this is that we are training, as we know, my dear brothers and sisters, to be a kingdom of priests. Just some reminder verses of that, to Israel, who was called from God first, in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8. God speaking to Israel says, For thou art a holy people, a separate people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more numbered than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he wouldn't, he, sorry, that he would keep the oath that he had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you up with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the hand, house of bond, bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so to us, though, those that are, that are baptized into that engrafting of Israel, as we know, through Christ in that baptism... Considered spiritual Israel, we read in 1 Peter verse 2, verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, a special people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And lastly, in Revelation 5, and verses 9 to 10, and I'm going to read this from the RSV. I just like uh, this translation for this verse here. And has made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And this is, again, this is what we're training to be. We're training to be in God's kingdom, to be priests. Now, what are priests and what do priests do? Well, What's very interesting about this is if we look at the Aaronic, what's called the Aaronic blessing in Numbers 6, verses 23 to 27, this is really a nice section where we see this name or this, the, the Shem, the character of God in his description being passed upon those that would listen. And we see the responsibility of the priests here. So here it is in Numbers 6. It says, on this wise, you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee or guard thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious or compassionate unto thee. See, we see those terms from God's character that we looked at in an earlier class in Exodus 34 coming out here. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And this is what it says right after that. It says, they, the priests, or the Kohanim, shall put my name, my Shem, my character upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And this is right after, as we mentioned, the Aaronic blessing, which describes the character of God. And so we can see how this was the ideal of the priests, is that they were in some capacity to relay God's character to the people. And we're going to see it's by their actions and the things that they said that did that. See, there was a mark of salvation which could be seen on the forehead of those that were following after, after God. And really, we can compare this against those that are developing, as it says in Revelation, the mark of the beast. And we see in, in, in the aspect of what was on the high priest's head, this holiness, kodesh to Yahweh, holiness or separateness to Yahweh. It says that in Exodus 28, that thou shalt make a plate of pure gold engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to Yahweh. And thou shalt put it on the blue lace that it may be upon the miter, upon the forehead of the miter it shall be. It shall be upon Aaron's forehead. And, and we looked at in the previous uh, class looking at the representation of the priest and how in our lives as taking on God's name, that we have to be very careful that we do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In the literal translation, when you look it up, there it says, "You shall not lift up or represent the character of Yahweh falsely." It's a very interesting thought that how we how we talk to people and how we act before them is a reflection of that character. You know, if we in in Proverbs 30. Verse 7 to 9, lest I be poor and still and take the name of my God in vain. See, it's the actions that come out of a situation we're in that develops our characters. And and so we're seeing that we have to allow God's word to shape us to be like his son. We are the representatives, or supposed to be, (laughs) the representatives of Yahweh and are supposed to be manifesting his character. As his representatives, if we lie, steal, cheat, behave, or speak contrary to God's word, we're representing his character falsely. And so through baptism, we put away that old man that might do some of those things or might have done some of those things. And we develop new habits and a new design, a new pattern that follows after Christ. And so this responsibility of of the priesthood is really outlined in scripture in a number of passages, but we just want to look at a few here. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 7 to 8, it really shows us the responsibility of priests. It says, the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you are departed out of the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. And in Deuteronomy 18, verse 5, we see, For the Lord thy God hath chosen, and this is speaking to the priest, the Levi here, out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name, the Shem, in the name of Yahweh, him and his sons forever, and, and again, in just a couple verses later, in verse 7, they were to minister in that name of Yahweh, his God, as all his brethren, the Levites do, which stand there before Yahweh. So these are interesting verses that show us this, this overall pattern and, and show us the responsibility that God had instilled for the training of his people, to bring them to that kingdom. We read in... Uh, In Deuteronomy 18, we start comparing that now with the seed of the serpent, and while those that are trying to follow after the truth are are doing this to the best of their ability, you always have that seed of the serpent side in opposition, do we not? It says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 and 12, when you are come into the land which the Lord thy God gives you, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations because of these abominations the lord thy god doth drive them out from before thee so we see these two seeds manifested one manifesting the characteristics of the nations around and letting the name you could say the mark of the beast in that system to be in their thinking the world's very much trying to penetrate our thinking is it not my dear brothers and sisters But the other group are ministering in the name or in the Shem, in the character of Yahweh as God. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God, Deuteronomy 18, verse 13 tells us. And so we have uh, quite a responsibility um, that we're reminded of as we go through some of these verses. Now let's just touch on speaking on the name here and continue on this. In Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 18, this section here is really interesting and we look at this word here for speak, and it's, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like onity, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of it. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, Or that shall speak in the name of other gods. Even that prophet shall die. And if thou shalt say in thy heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Well, here's the litmus test, isn't it? It says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. In in Isaiah 41, verse 22, the prophet Isaiah um, declared, let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. And this is speaking to those with, uh, with foreign gods. Let them show the former things what they, sh- what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. And so that's the wonderful thing about uh, the Bible and Bible prophecy, as we know is that the prediction that God, the predictions that God puts in his word for those that seek out and read and study these things really cause a separation be, between those that don't. And in the separation, God is saying to the, to the other ones, to the, the seed of the, the uh, serpent, let's see you declare what's going to happen in the future. And that's the amazing thing that God has the power to do that. No other uh, uh, false prophets or fake gods can do. So that's really uh, the litmus test we have, one of of the major litmus tests of of Scripture on determining who is speaking in the name. Now, this this name for speak, or the name word as it's translated as well, all through the Old Testament in Hebrew, is this Hebrew word dabar. I just want to spend a little bit of time on this Hebrew word dabar. This isn't a Hebrew word study, but I think you'll find this interesting at least to help lock in what the concept of speech or speaking is all about. See, the bar is an adopted root from the parent root, which means order. The biblical Hebrew understanding of speaking or speech is an ordered arrangement of words. It makes sense, right? This is what language is. It's, it's, it's taking symbols or, or um, in our case, letters and arranging them in a certain way that gives a certain meaning. And if you don't understand how that works, you don't understand that other language. And, and it's the same as uh, God's language is speaking with an ordered arrangements of words from the design of God's mind. And so we have from Justinius the bar, the primary power is that of setting in a row, ranging in order, hence to lead, to guide, specifically to lead flocks or herds to pastor, to rule, to direct the people. The much used and in the verb form, the most frequent frequent meaning is to speak properly to put words in order. And it's fascinating when you look at this word for word or speech, it's also this word for Deborah, a name we're all very familiar with and love. The word Deborah, which actually is translated in, in some dictionaries as this the word be. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it has a meaning of the bee. but it's... The bee in the sense of an ordered arrangement. See, it contains its Hebrew root, dabar. See, a bee is one of the most beautiful examples of order and complexity in its outworkings that we can observe in God's creation. One scientist who wrote this book called The Remarkable Bee Brain, his name was uh, John Leif, He he writes, bees demonstrate abstract thought, symbolic language, advanced visual perception, decision-making, and planning. They can count, sequence, and combine concepts. These uh, capacities are in the individual bee with a very small brain, one million neurons, versus humans, 100 billion neurons. With such advanced capacities in bees, intelligence and mind and nature must be reconsidered. Now this is actually written by an evolutionist scientist. And when he studied the bee and wrote this book, he came to the conclusion that we're going to have to look at some things again here because this thing is just too too uh too uh amazing to to think it just kind of popped out of nowhere. And when you think about it and look at the bee in a beehive and its colony And how it has its ordered structure, just like God's word and how he structures his thoughts to function. The beehive really is like the colony or like the ecclesia of insects living in a perfect, ordered society. You know, bees are so fascinating. Honeybees specifically are fascinating. You know, did you know that bees use the sun as their reference point for both navigation as well as communication? Each of these is an essential element in sustaining a, a spiritually productive life. You can see in the bottom left picture here, these bees, what they're doing here, the scalp bees find new sources of food or flowers for their hive mates. And then they return to the hive to let all the other bees know the location of the bee. They call this waggle dance. And they will move in reference to the sun's vertical position. It just reminds you, does it not, of Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking on to Jesus, the Son, the author and finisher of, of our faith. And these bees, like bees in a colony, have it all designed. And they waggle, their, they waggle their little behinds to tell everybody, hey, I found something new and interesting to tell everybody. And they share that information. It reminds me of the scriptures, how we're supposed to, out of the a, a, a scribe, out of his treasure, things new and old, were told. Much like the bee's dance that invites others to the food source vital to the hive's sustenance, there is no other reliable reference point for sustainable spiritual life than looking onto Jesus, the light of the world and son of righteousness. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the bee shows us that the primary purpose of the word is to communicate the gospel message of salvation through the light of the world, Jesus Christ. This revelation is displayed in so many infinite ways throughout the scriptures and evidenced in all of God's creative works. And honeybees offer us a unique visual of God's word and how it functions. And so this word, dabar, is defined as a word as well as expresses it's accompanying creative accomplishments. Think about it in Isaiah 55 and, and 11, where God says, So my word, my devour will be that, goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And what a beautiful thing the bee is and the aspect of this colony and how we can work and function as bees that we develop with each other and communicate with each other. And look what it what it makes, my dear brothers and sisters. It makes the most wonderful thing, and that is honey, how sweet it is. And if you're as fortunate as our family has been, you may experience at some point Hale's Honey Delivery Service. And this is uh, Brother Yoakam flying in some honey to us here. And, uh, and it just reminds me, that honey does not remind us In Psalms 19 and 10. The law, testimony, the law of the Lord, the testimony, statutes, commandments, fear, and judgments. When you think about all those things, Psalm 19 and 10 tells us, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. And the honeycomb. And in Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so it's wonderful, isn't it? And something that we consider. God's word is precious, and we have to be very careful on how we preach it to others, and that we want to bring them to to God's um, honeycomb, you could say, to, to the hive, ultimately. But we need to do it in the right way in preaching God's word correctly. See, true prophets, according to scripture, proclaim God's word in truth. Deuteronomy 18 and 15 says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto me you shall hearken. See, the prophet would be like unto God. It would, he would manifest God's character. And unto me you shall hearken. It was as if you were listening to God when you listened to that prophet, he says. But false prophets, the seed of the serpent, they proclaim God's word falsely. We can see it in Jeremiah 14, verses 13 to 14. The prophets say unto them, you shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this. Then the Lord said unto me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them neither spake unto them. They prophesied to you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. See, it was coming, was it not, out of their own heart. It was a motive that wasn't after the motives of the character that we're supposed to be showing and manifesting to others. Peace when there is no peace was a common um, false prophet proclamation, as we see in the prophet's. Uh, in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 23, verse 16 to 17, we're told, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart. It says they walk after the imagination of their own heart. No evil shall come upon thee, they were saying at this time. And compare that with Ezekiel 13, verses 16 and 17. The prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem, which see visions of peace for her, and there is no peace, saith the Lord God. Likewise, thou son of man, set thy face against the daughters of thy people, which prophesy out of their own heart. And there's a really good uh, example of this, good in a bad way, I suppose. Like, it wasn't a nice one for the prophet Jeremiah, but it's worth looking at and just spending a few minutes on. If you can uh, look at this one in Jeremiah, if you have your Bibles, Jeremiah 28. Um, And we're just going to really concentrate in verses 1 to 4 here. So in Jeremiah 28, we have what we're going to call and consider here a false prophet. And we have, of course, the prophet Jeremiah. But in verse 1, it came to pass the same year in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azar, the prophet, which was of Gibeah, spake unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Now you just I just want to stop there before I continue reading and just mention uh to us here that you notice that these false prophets had to have a big following and and uh and 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 an audience. You know they didn't talk privately to people. It says that they had to come right in the house in the ecclesia of, of Yahweh In the presence of all the priests, and of all the people, this is what had to be said. And we read in verse 2 to 4, this false prophecy, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. So he's speaking in the name of the Lord, but falsely. The God of Israel saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And so you see this contest back and forth. You see Jeremiah comes in in verse 5. Then said the prophet Jeremiah, unto the prophets Hananiah, in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord. See, Jeremiah is not doing it in the same motive or the same way as Hananiah. He has no choice. He's trying to back up the truth of the matter here because Hananiah has brought this out in front of the people. But anyway, as the story goes, he tells them that this, this isn't the truth as what he's saying. And he goes and and proclaims what God actually says. But I just want to come down to verse 11. Hananiah spake in the presence of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Neb, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. So at this time, Jeremiah didn't have anything else to say. Hananiah wasn't listening. There was nothing to say. He went back. And it says, the word of the Lord came unto him, and God told him, you go back and talk to Hananiah and tell him this, verse 13. You go tell Hananiah, saying, thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. And it continues to talk about how God is indeed going to bring Nebuchadnezzar down, and they are going to be punished in this way. And that actually Hananiah was going to uh, lose his life because he made the people trust the lie, verse 15. And so he was prophesied that he would actually die because of this rebellion in verse 16. And it says in verse 17, Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So it didn't end well for this uh, false prophet who, who took it upon himself to speak presumptuously in the name of the Lord. There's many examples we can go through, and, and we're not going to go through them all. Um, but, but we see a pattern here, do we not? We see a pattern where we have a, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and it almost seems like a competition, but we also notice that those that are speaking in the name of the Lord are the ones that are persecuted. See, we saw that in last week's class in calling on the, on the name, is that it includes a persecution for the righteous. It's part of it, is it not, in our lives, that sometimes we go through this kind of persecution, You see, Jeremiah in in chapter 44 and 16 says, As for the word or the debar that thou hast spoken, again, debar, unto us in the name of Yahweh, we will not hearken unto thee. They had no intention to listen to to Jeremiah. They had no intention to listen to God. How do you think Jeremiah felt about this? He says in chapter 20, verse 7-8, I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake... I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of Yahweh was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then said I, I will not make mention, or in other words, I will not bring the remembrance of him, I will not speak any more in his name, in his shem. But he says his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing. I could not stay. He could not hold it in, dear brothers and sisters, because it was the truth. And he loved his brothers and sisters. He didn't want them to fall away. And so we see that love that Jeremiah and the prophets have for their brothers and sisters, which is a good thing to look for when we're trying to to see who is speaking in the name of the Lord. And we, we mentioned this persecution. I just have some examples just to go through this one slide very quickly. And just think of the persecution, and there's many more examples that we can think of. But Moses, in Exodus 5, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in the name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. How about in James 5, verse 10, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. In Acts 4, but it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Acts 5 and 40, and to them and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then in Acts 9, verse 27 and 29 of Barnabas, he declares unto them how Paul had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly, or spoken boldly, at Damascus in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Persecuted for the name. It comes in the life of a believer, unfortunately, does it not? So we see this pattern, those that were speaking in the name, they were speaking words that God told them to speak, not their own words, not man's words, nor adding to or removing from God's word. They were speaking God's word, and they did so under persecution. This is the pattern that we will continue to see as we research this study and and continue in our own studies. It's all throughout scripture this way. Let's just look at a couple New Testament warnings that we have to watch out for about speaking in the name and some uh, that would come not speaking correctly and demonstrating this name. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. In Mark 13 and 6, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And how about in 2 Peter 2, verse 1 to 2? There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken. See, denying the Lord that bought them, I really believe, my dear brothers and sisters, that these false prophets were, were teaching uh, a lack of love with the brethren. They were separating the flock and, and causing a separation. And they were considered false teachers. In Revelation 19, verse 20, it says, The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of burning, uh, burning with brimstone, and so we see this attachment again with the false prophet and deceiving those that have received that them that had received the mark of the beast. Those that would follow after that character of of that of a system that takes you any system that takes you away from walking in the character or name of of uh, our Father or of His Son is a false system. And so really what we've looked at and considered this evening and speaking in the name, and I know it's a little bit of a harder, uh, harsher topic, it just so happens to, to maybe turn out that way with a little bit of reproof for, for all of us to, to help us in our walk toward the truth, but it, it gives to us, does it not, a responsibility for both teachers and a responsibility of us as listeners And so just some verses, and again, there's more that we could add to this, but James 3, verse 1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. See, there's a response, a great responsibility in delivering God's word. James 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 2 Timothy 2 and 15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 to 4, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. When God's word needs to be spoken, we do it. Even if it's hard to, to say something, sometimes we do it. That's the responsibility that we have as teachers. And as listeners, we read in Matthew 23, verse 2 to 3, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, and that was really the seat where you would sit in when you were teaching. It says, all therefore, whoever they bid you to observe, whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. But do not you after their works, for they say, and do not. See, this isn't the pattern of a good teacher, my dear brothers and sisters. This isn't Jesus saying this is good, and this is how teachers are. He's saying this is is what the lay of the land was at his time. And he was saying that the words they're saying that come from the Bible, the law at that time, were to observe that. But don't follow after them because they're not doing what they're actually preaching. And in Hebrews 4 and 12, we're told that the word, and in Greek this is the word logos, which is equated with what we've looked at with our Hebrew word debar. So those that are familiar with the concept of logos and God's uh, thinking that was then put down in words and how that word was then made flesh in the Lord Jesus Christ would understand this concept a lot better. The word of God is quick, or it's living; it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Of the heart. So, on these two verses, we have, in the first verse, we have hear and do God's word, and in the second verse, we have do your readings. Make sure we're always doing the readings. If you've slacking in any way, get back on board. It's so sharp and powerful, and it it will correct us and keep us in that way and discern the thoughts and tents of our heart and direct us. And lastly on this, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 tells us, there's the time that would come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on to fables. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility as speakers and listeners. And this last one here really tells us that we don't invite speakers who sound good to give talks, to please the multitude, but rather bring speakers who speak the truth, even if it hurts to hear that reproof. We've got to force ourselves to try to do that. Because you know what will happen is over time, the truth will become harder and harder to discern if we're not careful. The teachers will start trying to sell us things that the Bible is not teaching us. And so there's an invitation, is there not, to us as listeners. It's the same kind of invitation we had and we were looking at with the bee. And it's the same invitation that God gives with his word. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come you to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and, for your, lab- and your labor for that which satisfyeth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come on to me. Here in your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Locked in with those covenant promises that through Israel and the covenants through Abraham that we see in Galatians, it's a wonderful verse and an invitation to us as as uh, listeners and those that are interested in the truth. And so we do have a responsibility, do we not, my dear brothers and sisters? And hopefully our class this evening has has given us some some information on speaking in the name where we can encourage each other to work together and to encourage each other to speak correctly in God's name. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, the verse that we'll end with, and just leave us with this thought, where it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, but, you that, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so we'll, we'll leave our class there and, and, uh, and we'll look forward to uh, some discussion uh, after the class. Thank you very much.